Assalamu alaikum rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Many different people can be looking at the same thing and see uh, entirely different uh, scenarios. Um, someone looking at an engine of a car who's a mechanic uh, can look at it and through his various senses of uh, sight and sound can diagnose if it's a problem while somebody who doesn't understand the mechanics of uh, an automobile can look at it and it means absolutely nothing because to him it's a black box uh, to somebody else it's a functioning mechanism that he understands we uh, also uh, in our general daily routines look at things in quite different ways uh, psychologists and psychiatrists use something called the inkblot test or the Rorschach test to be able to uh, figure out what the deeper inner psyches of people are influencing their being. Uh, they'll show them the Rorschach test and they'll say something and through the way what they see in this inkblot they can sort of determine what's going on inside of somebody. Now Ibn Arabi told us that the world is a translator for Allah, which means as you look around, you see things. Depending on your state or station, what you see is different. For instance, uh, the great American poet who wrote about the glory of God in a long poem that he entitled A Blade of Grass certainly saw more than a blade of grass in a blade of grass. It meant much more to him. There's a story of a uh, dervish who was walking down the street and there was a man selling cucumbers and pumpkins and screaming at the top of his lungs the sweetest there is the sweetest there is and the dervish fainted in ecstasy because when he heard the sweetest there is it meant God to him it meant Allah to him and here he was in the middle of a street with vendors selling vegetables and God was being talked about what a glorious thing. Some people saw cucumbers, some people saw pumpkins, he saw halos and angels wings and he fainted. We see different things in front of us dependent on the state or station that we're at. We experience different things from what's in front of us dependent on the station that we're at. We have different interactions dependent on the station that we're at. And we have different reactions to different phenomena depending 
upon what our insides are truly like. So, in order to understand these different phenomena, we have to understand ourselves. But also, we need to realize that when we are in the midst of conversation, the words that we say, each of us, will have different meanings to different people, even though they're exactly the same words. But in reality, words alone are not all that's being conveyed when conversation goes on or when discourse goes on. For instance, sitting in front of someone like Bao Mahayadin, when he spoke, there was more than words coming out of him. With those words came the vibration that was his essence. So you could be sitting in front of him and he could be telling a story of some trip that he took and the impact on you would be overwhelming. There's a story of Abdul Qadir Jalani who was late for one of his discourses. So it was either his son or one of his assistants began to talk and he told this, he was telling incredibly detailed explanations of the Quran and people throughout the audience were falling asleep. Abdul Qadir Jalani finally showed up and he told the story about why he was late because he had to get some eggs from the market and then he had to get some milk for his cat and he had forgotten the milk so he had to go back and get the milk and then when he got to his house the cat was hungry so he had to feed him the milk and people are crying and he's talking about his shopping trip and people are crying and sobbing in the audience people are fainting from ecstasy why? Because Abdul Qadir Jalani brought ecstasy to the situation whenever he entered it. Abdul Qadir Jalani brought another level of phenomena that was visible to everyone to the situation when he entered it. So even if you were in a lower state, his state was so overwhelming that you became closer to reality because he entered your space. He changed stations. He changed states. He changed the nature of people just by being in front of him. It's like a tuning fork. Everything around it tunes to that vibration. And if that vibration is very, very powerful. It can pick up all that are around it. And all of a sudden, the vibration of the people around it gets in tune with the state of the vibrator. So, Bawa vibrated for all of us. He resonated for all of us. And he brought us to other states through his resonance. So when he spoke, there wasn't just talking going on. There wasn't just words 
going on. In addition to words, resonance was being communicated. So the words are like a railroad track, but on that railroad track, many different cars can run, and the vibration of what comes out are the cars that are running on that track. And if that vibration is a holy vibration, then holiness comes with words. You can have someone read holy words, and nothing will happen to the people listening to it. You can have someone else recite the same words, but because of who they are, that which comes along with them will have effect on the people reading them. Bawa said once that when you meet a Sufi, you will know it without him saying a word because his being will vibrate and resonate from all the praying and zikering that he has done. It comes from them. So that when you're, in, when you're in their presence, a phenomena occurs that brings you closer to reality, even though there is no communication that is apparent to the world. The world is a translator for Allah. But we have to be attuned to what it's telling us. A lady told me yesterday that her grandfather, who to her when she was a child looked like a prophet and was a mystic, asked her, what is God? And she looked at him in her 11-year-old state and said something to the effect like, love is God? And he said, come here. You see this flower? That's God. Smell it. You see the goat? That's God. Smell it. Everything has this essence of God within it. God is the non-matter portion of everything. Without atoms, without form, Without substance, as we understand it, intermingled throughout everything. It's a power and it's an essence, intermingled throughout everything. Without beginning, without end, without form, without substance, without our ability to define it. Yet, we ask to have it proven to us, and we ask for great signs and miracles so that we can believe. And while we ask for those things, what we've done is we've created expectations through imaginations that have nothing to do with reality, but have more to do with the way we think and because of our expectations and imaginations, we miss 
all of the things that are shown to us quite plainly that give us credence to his existence. But since we expect him to show himself to us in ways that we've predetermined, we'll miss all of the simple things when he shows himself to us. If you turn over a rock and you see a frog eating a blade of grass with dew on it, you realize that God created the frog and he created the dew and he created the grass and within that little system that was covered by a rock that you couldn't even see was an entire world of creation that is sustained by him. This explanation comes from a story about Moses who was thinking about his wife who was pregnant while he was on his way to Mount Sinai. And, and God called to him, Moses, and Moses didn't respond because he was so deep in thought and, about his wife and worried about her. And God called again, and the third time Moses responded, and he said, Moses, kick the rock, and that's where he saw the frog and the grass and the water. And he said, if I've taken care of that, don't you think I'll take care of your wife? This understanding that everything is in place and everything is okay and everything is moving in a perfect order, this understanding that things are that way is reality. What lacks is our ability to perceive this perfection. And the question comes to us then, how do we then perceive this perfection? How do we change so that we can actually see and understand it? The lacking is not in the creation. The lacking is not in our Lord. The lacking is not in the fact that proof has not been given. The lacking is in our faith to recognize everything that's been shown to us and everything that's been opened up to us and everything that we've been allowed to see and everything that's been given to us and our inability to be grateful for it. When we enter into the realm of gratitude for what we see and what we hear and what we're given, therein a difference begins to take place within us that alters our perception. When you pour yourself a glass of water, do you think God created this water specifically to quench my thirst. And if that creation had not happened, there's no way that my thirst can be quenched. And when you look at a waterfall, do you think this water was created in abundance 
so that all of creation could have its thirst quenched and there would not be people walking around in need of water. How do you think when you see these kinds of things? When, when you pass by a field of grain, do you think Allah has created this grain so that we would have from that which to eat so that we would not be hungry and our being could be sustained. Do we realize the fragility of our existence and how many different things were put into place to maintain us and sustain us and to keep us in an appropriate way so that we're healthy and that we're strong and that we're capable of doing all the things that we do in our life. And if we do realize that, what's the state of our gratitude for that? And is that enough to prove to us that Allah exists? Is that sufficient for us to be able to see the interaction of the Lord in our life? Or do we need the skies to open up and the skies to have written there, God exists? Don't we see the miracles that exist throughout everyday existence in everything that we look at, in everything that we perceive, in everything that we touch? How about the fact that sounds have been allowed to be put together in such a way that when we listen to them, they become explanations for things. Where did language come from? Where did words come from? Where did all of, and, and, and there's not only one, there's thousands of them. And if you listen, if you listen to Chinese and don't know it, don't know it, of course it sounds like gibberish. I'm always amazed when I speak somewhere and there's translation going on because we're not in a country where they speak English. And I sometimes make the point that the translator is taking what is gibberish to the people listening and making it into words that they can understand. So a translator is taking gibberish and making it into words as far as they're concerned because they have no idea what's being said. And likewise, when it's being translated back to me, somebody's taking what sounds like gibberish to me and being made into words. How much of what you look at appears as gibberish, but if you had the appropriate translator, would indicate to you that it's reality. We need to become that translator for ourselves so that we see all of the wonders that are before us at every moment that scream glory is to God, subhanallah, alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar. We need to be in that space where we can witness that. When the man heard 
the vendor screaming, the sweetest in the world, to him that was proof of the existence of God and his greatness. To us, it may have meant it was a good cucumber. It depends where you are in your state and in your station and what you're capable of receiving. It's like the fish that Bawa talked about all the time, who's constantly asking, where is the water? We need to become a translator for ourselves so that we can sustain ourselves at that place that's near and into reality. The great ones came to be first-hand translators for us. They would tell us through their own being the existence of reality. They would exemplify for us through their own being the, res the existence of reality. When we are with one of the great ones, then our normal everyday life alters. It changes. It's no longer this mundane existence. All of a sudden, we're in the midst of glory and we become aware of it because being with one who is a constant reminder reminds us. And what happens is the, the, the mind is fickle. If you're not thirsty, you forget what thirst is like. If you're not hungry, you forget what hunger is like. If you're not sleepy, you forget what sleep deprivation is like. If you're without pain, you forget what pain is like. As we move away from reality, we forget what reality is like. Now, in order to induce hunger and bring that back into reality for yourself, you have to not eat for an extended period of time. Something has to be done. In order to remember thirst, you have to not drink for an extended period of time. And then you'll remember what thirst is like. In order to remember pain, you may have to pinch yourself. And then you'll know what pain is like. In order for us to remember our Creator, we have to yearn for Him. In the same way we yearn for water when we haven't had it. Yearning is what brings us back to remembrance in the same way that thirst brings us to water. We need that yearning to be developed within ourselves and we have to work at developing it. If it isn't something we feel all the time, then we have to meditate and think about what is it that we're missing and create that yearning. Once that yearning is created, then that'll be the impetus that'll take us in the appropriate directions. Because if our yearning is real, 
What our yearning will do is awaken the witness within us who will tell us in order